0: 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For, as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he's he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection, under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptised on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptised on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor. As is right, And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Let's
1: pray. Father God, help us by your word to see things as they truly are. And help us to live in the light of the amazing things that you have and will do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Stay safe. Stay home flatten the curve, don't get complacent, this is the new normal. No doubt all of us have heard at least some of those phrases over the past few weeks as we continue to fight the coronavirus. And those phrases have been created, haven't they, to help us deal with the massive changes in lifestyle which all of us have and are going through. They reminded that in these unprecedented times, and there's another phrase for you, that things that used to be safe, are now risky and things that used to feel essential no longer are and we need to be reminded of that because it's all too easy for us to slip back into our old lives some of the things that we're doing now only make sense in light of the virus And we can't afford to forget that at least not yet something similar is actually going on as we rejoin 1 corinthians chapter 15 and the church there The believers have forgotten about the reality of Jesus' resurrection and of his coming again. And so they're living as if this life is all that there is. And that is leading them into all sorts of problems and to all sorts of sin. And so in this passage, Paul is reminding them that Jesus really did rise from the dead and that really he's going to return, but that we're not there yet. And so that we need to live in a way that reflects that reality. If you're not there already, then why don't you grab a Bible and turn up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've got two points for us this morning. Uh, Firstly, then comes the end in verses 23 to 28. And secondly, this is not the end in verses 29 to 34. So firstly, then comes the end. We actually read in our reading a little bit earlier a bit more uh, than our passage because the last three verses of last week's passage uh, set us up for this. So take a look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. A whole sermon could be dedicated to that but in verse 20. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. We saw last week that that means that Paul's preaching and that our faith are not in vain. But it's also the starting point for our passage this morning. It's the kickoff for a chain reaction of events which Paul outlines for us in the next few verses in five stages. He tells us what the end of history is going to look like. He says, after these five things has happened, and only then is when the end will come. Stage one is uh, what we've just read in verse 20, that Christ, although he did die, has been raised from the dead. Second stage uh, is in verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the first roots, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Jesus is going to return, and when he returns, those who've put their trust in him will rise as well. Jesus' resurrection is the prototype, the first fruits, the guarantee that those of us who put our faith in Jesus on his return will rise to be with him. Stage three is in verse 25. For he, that's Jesus, must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Jesus in his first coming came meekly as a baby, but his second coming, he will come as a reigning and victorious king and all things will be put under his feet. Christ will rule over his enemies. And that comes to a conclusion in stage four verse 26, where we're told that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus will return as victorious king. He will rule over all, and he will destroy our final enemy, death itself. The first stage at first glance seems kind of confusing if we read verses 27 and 28. Paul is actually quoting from Psalm 8, which we had read to us a little bit earlier. But the basic point for us is actually summed up in verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Jesus will return uh, to rule and to reign. And once all things have been put under his feet, he will hand the kingdom over to God, the Father, so that God is all in all. This, Paul says, is the end of history. This is where everything is leading to, but it hasn't happened yet. And all of this is guaranteed by that first stage, the thing that kicks off the chain reaction, Jesus' death and resurrection. A few years ago, in fact, I think it's probably 16 years ago, I was watching the European football championships. Remember those? I think it was in 2004 and England were playing France in the quarterfinals. Uh, Unfortunately for me, uh, the match was scheduled for a Sunday evening, right slap bang in the middle of our church service. So a group of uh, our friends had got together and decided we were going to try and watch the match as if it was live. We'd avoid uh, any news, any notifications of what the result was. Uh, Somebody would record the match and we'd watch it together. Uh, we were doing uh, pretty well. This was before the age uh, of smartphones, so uh, no one had heard the score, and we managed to make our way through the city centre without uh, reading result on anybody's faces. We sat down to watch uh, the match together, and things were going well. England took the lead, and right up until the 90th minute, we were winning one 0 Now, if you can remember back uh, that far and have an encyclopedic uh, knowledge of European football, you might remember. Uh, that not only did France equalize in the 92nd minute, they actually went on to win it in the 94th. We were crushed. We'd spent all this effort trying to watch the match as if it was live and the result hadn't gone our way. But the Christian life isn't like that. Though we might not know the details of the game, the final result for us is never in doubt. Paul lays it out clearly for the Corinthians here. Jesus wins. This is our certain and our glorious hope, and it's our horizon and our North Star as Christians, the thing which anchors our life, the things which we set our direction by. We have a certain hope, and it's a hope that isn't rocked by COVID-19 or by anything else. I wonder if you've uh, thought much about what you'll do when lockdown is over. Maybe you've got a list of things, people that you want to see, places that you want to go. Our kids uh, have asked to spend a night in a hotel um, as a replacement for the birthday parties they didn't get to have. At the minute, it's all that they can talk about. As they go to sleep each night, they're imagining uh, what it will look like. What about you? Do you think about Christ's return? In the same way that you think about the end of lockdown. Something exciting to look forward to. Something that although we don't know when it's going to happen. Is going to be wonderful when it does. We're not there yet. But the final result isn't in doubt. And Christians need to live. Being certain of their final destination. But also being aware that we haven't made it to it yet. So what does that life look like? A life that lives in the reality of Christ's coming return, his reign and his resurrection. How do we apply that to our lives now? Well, that's what Paul does in verses 29 to 34. And that's what I want to look at in my second point. This is not the end. The Christian life only makes sense in the light of Jesus' resurrection. But in the light of the resurrection, the Christian life is the only life that makes any sense at all. Let's pick things up again in verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptised on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised on their behalf? Why am I in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? if the dead are not raised there's some unusual language in there isn't there what is paul talking about being baptized by the dead and what are these uh, beasts in ephesus well actually the underlining uh, point is pretty clear paul is saying what is there to gain from christianity if the dead are not raised and this life is all there is why do people baptize the dead if there is no resurrection If you look in the commentaries, uh, there's about 30 or 40 uh, different explanations for that. And I'm not going to list them all now. You'll be relieved to hear. And it seems like what was happening is that uh, people were being baptised on behalf of believers who had died without being baptised. Paul's not condoning that here. His point is simply this. If you don't actually believe in a real physical resurrection, then why would you bother baptising people on behalf of the dead? And then he points at his own life and says it doesn't make any sense unless a resurrection is real. Why would I choose a life of suffering, of danger, of death, if there is no resurrection? Paul says that he dies every day. And if you know anything about Paul's life, you'll know that that isn't much of an exaggeration. Paul abandoned a life of respect and comfort for shipwrecks and beatings and hunger and cold. This bit about fighting with beasts in Ephesus likely refers to Paul's time there preaching the gospel in which he upset people so much that he almost caused a riot. What do I get out of this life, Paul argues? What do I stand to gain if the dead are not raised? That's the question that applies to all of us as Christians. What is there to gain from Christianity if there is no resurrection? if this life is all that there is. I came across in preparing for this a young Church of Scotland minister. And as he recalled being in training uh, for, the, for being a minister, he remembered his training course. And sadly, uh, he was one of only two on that course who actually believed in the resurrection. And as he went through that course, he looked at the others around him and he thought, what are you doing here? What's the point? so many other things you could be doing with your time, so many things where you could earn more money or respect or prestige and if you really want to help out in the community then why not just become a social worker or something like that. Being a Christian only makes sense in the light of the resurrection. Making the decisions that Paul has only makes sense if we're certain that the dead are raised, but the dead are raised. That's Paul's point. Jesus has been raised and that's the guarantee that we will be raised too. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 32 this, "'What do I gain if, humanly speaking, "'I fought with beasts at Ephesus, "'if the dead are not raised? "'Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. "'Do not be deceived. "'Bad company ruins good morals. "'Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Eat drink, for, eat, drink eat and drink for tomorrow we die is a summary of the culture that was surrounding the Corinthian church. And it's a pretty good summary of our culture as well. If this is all there is, if we have one life, then we might as well go on and get on with living it. Let's feed our appetites, whatever they are, whether they're uh, physical, whether we're eating or drinking, or whether they're emotional or sexual. Do whatever makes you happy, because this is all we've got. But Paul argues that that isn't the case. If we believe that, then we're being deceived. Paul invites the Corinthians to wake up, to wake up from their drunken stupor and to remember that this life isn't all that there is. God has revealed that plainly in Jesus' death and resurrection. And so if we live without that in view, then we're showing that we don't truly know God. The Corinthians were uh, proud of their knowledge. They were proud of their fine speaking and their understanding. But Paul rebukes them and says, the way that you're living shows that you don't know God at all. So what does it mean then for us to choose a life that only makes sense in light of the resurrection? If the dead are raised and we're not to live lives that are just about the here and now, about eating and drinking for tomorrow we die, what will that look like? Well, the first thing is that we will choose temporary discomfort for long-term gain. That's what a lot of us are doing at the moment, isn't it? In response to the virus. We're choosing to do things which are dis, are not comfortable, which might even cause us suffering or pain, at least temporarily. And we're doing so because we think there'll be a reward at the end of it. How much greater, though, is the reward for Christians? How much greater is the hope of heaven than the end of lockdown? If we know that, then we're going to respond to it and we're going to be able to risk things for Christ. If this is all... Uh, that there is then perhaps it doesn't make sense to risk a friendship by speaking plainly to a friend about Jesus. Maybe it makes sense to keep our head down at work and our beliefs to ourselves but if this is true then it doesn't make any sense at all. As Christians we have a vaccine, not a vaccine to defeat the coronavirus but a vaccine that defeats something even more deadly, sin. We have the gospel, we have the hope of eternal life, of forgiveness, of relationship with the God who created the universe and who created us. It's worth it to put ourselves in a place of discomfort, to share that vaccine, to share that truth. So first, if we really believe in the resurrection, we'll choose to endure temporary discomfort, to risk things for Christ, for the rewards of heaven. Secondly, If we believe in heaven, if we believe in the resurrection, then we're going to stop sinning. That's what Paul is calling on the Corinthians to do here. He says in verse 34 to wake up and to not go on sinning. Athletes uh, prepare in a particular way don't they? If they're getting ready for a major sporting event uh, for the Olympics or uh, the World Championships or something like that. They don't put anything they like in their body. They live Uh, with discipline it makes sense because of the goal that they're aiming for it's the same for us if we're Christians then we're not just going to satisfy our appetites our stomachs and our mouths we're going to know that there's something even more satisfying the truth of the gospel relationship with Christ living in the way that he has designed us to live those things make sense only in light of the resurrection So if we believe in those things, we're going to live differently. We're going to live in a way that doesn't make sense to those around us. Is that the way that your life looks like? Let's pray that it would. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word to us. Lord, thank you that you give us certainty about the future. And Lord, we confess that we need that at the moment. Lord, would you help us? to live lives that don't make sense unless there is a resurrection. But Lord, help us to remember our certain hope and to live in a way that makes sense of that. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.